Just to give you a little bit of a heads up on what we're doing this evening, uh, we're going to hear a lot of good stories at the beginning of testimonies of what God is doing in people's lives and the life of the church, and then, and then we will have a couple of other updates on some ministry things that are happening. Uh, Chuck's going to share some wisdom with us, so, and then uh, we'll end with a, a prayer time. So, uh, really looking forward to this evening. We're going to start with uh, Pam Hagler and Hansley Massat. Would you guys? I, I think it is Hagler, isn't it? No. Okay. So how, how many of you? How many of you knew that we were going to have a, a Haiti mission trip in January? Most people knew. Um, God knew that too, um, but God had other plans with that trip. So. Pam was scheduled, uh, both of these people, were, Pam and Hansley, were scheduled to go on this trip, and we're going to hear from Pam uh, about what God spoke to her uh, about the trip, about the wait, and do I need to say anything more? No, okay. No. Great. Thank you. <laughs> I want this because I'm going to let my arms flail around. No, not really. I was kidding. This church is crazy. Okay, so <laughs> our church of Haiti actually started off facing some challenges, um, but that's kind of normal. I think we would have been more surprised if we didn't run into any issues at all. Um, but we believed that this was God's trip, not our trip, and that he would be in the details. But then within the week prior to our scheduled departure, things really started to get wonky. Between the polar vortex, you guys know what the polar vortex is? Yeah, whatever. The storm on the East Coast. <laughs> um, so between that and trips to the emergency room, and um, the perceived opportunity to submit to authority, we started to wonder if we were facing challenges through which we were to persevere or close doors that we should back away from. So many of you know that one of my biggest struggles centers around this concept of hearing from God. So when Dad asked me to share what I saw God doing throughout this Haiti adventure, it was a little apprehensive. Um, but then, yeah, I cried like a baby. I didn't know what to do. But then I sat down um, to write out my thoughts. And I looked again at what I was actually being asked to share. And this line from Tad's email really stuck out. He said, our main desire in having people share is to put the spotlight on God and on what he has done or is doing in your life through the church. And it clicked. Have you noticed how much our emphasis at this church has been on community? Have you, have you noticed how often we talk about doing life together? And have you noticed that we have made this big shift from me to we? So I've been mired in this search to see how God was speaking to me. It would have been so easy for me to miss his voice as he was speaking to we. The Monday that the team was supposed to board an airplane and take an insanely long time to get to the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere for the purpose of serving God through serving some of his most desperate people, we instead found ourselves in Pastor Chuck's office, hands on head, saying, what the heck just happened here? And in the three and a half hours or so that we spent together, I do believe 
that we heard God speak. Not an audible voice, not any writing on the wall, nor my personal desire, the angelic choir descending from the sky. But rather, each team member brought to the table a unique perspective on the unique chain of events we had just experienced. It was the coming together that cast light on the situation. I, or we, needed to hear all of the expressed concerns and insights that were shared that day. It was important for me, us, to see certain things through the eyes of different people in whom the Holy Spirit is also residing. And as we sought him together, it was then that I got to hear God's voice through his church. I don't think there is one of us on the team who does not believe that God was in the middle of each and every decision. Each and every decision that led to the postponement of a much anticipated trip. And if I may speak for the team, well, I'm going to, so it doesn't really matter. I think we, we all see how this um, postponement affords us some opportunities we would otherwise not have had. So what opportunities? I'm so glad you asked. Hansley is here, and he is going to tell you a little bit more about the upcoming trip and how you might be able to pray and participate. Thank you, Pam. And, amen, amen. God has been very gracious to us, and one of the opportunities we have is to open the trip for anyone else who would like to participate. And so we're tentatively scheduled to be in Haiti um, from May the 12th to the 23rd, and we would like to ask the church to prayerfully consider participating um, because we do now have an opportunity for more to come. Um, we would like for you, if you are interested, if you could please let me know by the end of this coming week. It is our hope to purchase flights by the end of February, and part of that would require for us to solidify a team um, and to have deposits in before we purchase the flight. So that's the plan right now, is to have it open for more to join us. Um, we're praying on a weekly basis, um, and we would ask for you to join in those prayer efforts as well. And if you need any more information, feel free to contact me, Hansley, at churchonmill.com. That's all. Thank you. All right. So talk with Hansley after the service or uh, send him an email, as he said. And we'd love to have more people, the more the merrier, going to Haiti. Uh, next, Stacy Green, come on up here. And... I am uh, convicted when I see Stacy's desire to share the gospel and her talk about our church family. So I'm, I'm really excited to hear what you're going to say and take it away. Yes, thank you. I'd first like to say that I feel extremely humbled and blessed that Jesus Christ would lead my church family to ask me speak tonight. When I met one of our internationals, Christine, three years ago at the public library, we started talking about churches, and I told her that I was looking for a church home. She then gave me a church on Mill Bulletin and told me all the wonderful things about it. 
She circled Wally and Betty, Paul's number, and she told me that if I ever needed a ride, to call them, and I did it the next day. Wally and Betty Hall and I have been friends ever since, through thick and through thin. I knew quickly that Church on Mill was the place for me. I could feel God's presence in every hug and handshake, in every song and prayer. I knew immediately that I wanted to become a part of this glorious God-filled family. I have become closer to this family than my own. Yet God and my church family have taught me understanding and unconditional love. So I am working on my biological family every day. I know the church on Mill is ultimately run by God and God has a master plan for it. I can feel it. I know it. I feel that I am truly a part of a family here, and this church is striving to be Christ-like in whatever God's plan for me. Church on Mill will be a major part of it. I have endured many hardships in these years of membership, and never once has Church on Mill let me endure them alone or for long. I recently had major oral surgery and had worked out most of the cost, yet my family, my biological family, thought anesthesia was a comfort unnecessary. Well, the oral surgeon wouldn't do the surgery without it, and all of a sudden I had Pam Hagler telling me not to worry that my church family had my back. <sighs> I remember the tears of joy coming and not stopping for quite a while. In fact, Randy and Pam Hagler are there when I go through many, many spiritual needs and breakdowns. <laughs> yeah, they go, they go through a lot with me. I remember my moving day, the day after Thanksgiving, and it never would have happened without Hansley and Scott and Nathaniel and Andrew. Down one flight and up three flights of stairs. The elevator was supposed to work, but it didn't. And it was only five days after I had gotten hit by a car. So I couldn't even help. As the heat slips, oh, they, they just gave their son donated his own bike to me because my bike had been split in half. The family here is, I don't know how to say it. I love you all. I would, I'd like to say that those guys were troopers that day. Um, I've had people come to my house when I've been down and out and not been able to get out of bed, like John and Judy Hernandez, who wouldn't take no for an answer. <laughs> Pastor Chuck gave me a sermon once, or gave us a sermon once, excuse me, that stated we needed to get the true word of the gospel out to as many people as we possibly could, that God wants everyone to know his word, not just the United States, but the whole world. Before that sermon, I was very narrow-minded 
and felt we only needed to worry about us here in the United States and let other people handle their own. Well, I picked up my study Bible and the notes from that sermon, and before I knew it, God was speaking to me loud and clear. I've had many eye-opening moments through his sermons, God speaking to me, and the fellowship that goes on constantly in our church. I now feel like I am working for God. I testify as often as I possibly can. I bring as many people to church on mill that I can, hoping that they get the same experience as I. The apartment building that I live in has expressed an interest in Bible study, so I am praying to God for help in finding the right source to organize this project. I will say this, that the best thing in the world is working for God. Once I realized that and I finally got the true message and realized that God has my life in his hands and I was able to just let go of the outcome because I'm, I'm God's child and he's going to do his will. I just let go. Once I got that through my thick head, blessings came raining down on me like happy tears from Jesus himself. And I thank you all for taking me in. A lot of churches talk about uh, being a family, but I think that I hope you heard through that that we really are a family. And thank you for sharing, Stacy. Uh, so we're a family. We share the gospel in other places outside of the U.S., uh, Haiti, uh, for instance. And we also try to make disciples wherever we go. So uh, Katie DeVoe and Chuck, I'm not sure which one of you is going to speak first, flip a coin. Both, okay, are here to talk about Wednesday night study in Porterbrook, just making disciples in general. So, we got to follow that. <laughs> um, what we're uh, finding as a church uh, is uh, as we're really emphasizing the things that the Bible emphasizes in terms of uh, what a church is and what we're supposed to do that that raises lots of questions about what that looks like in natural, normal, everyday life. So it's, it's easy to sit in this room and uh, think of ourselves as really gospel-centered, Bible-believing people, but to understand how that looks in the complexity of everyday life is more difficult, right? Uh, so we're, we're finding as we're moving along that we need um, increased opportunities that um, equip people for uh, understanding the gospel, understanding the scriptures, understanding what God would have them to do in every circumstance they're in, and how uh, Jesus isn't designed, actually he doesn't even accept this, to, to be an add-on to our life, but to be our very life. And then what does that mean in terms of how we live and everywhere we go? So on Wednesday nights right now, we're we're doing some, some study in that regard. That's been a lot of fun. Um, quite a few of you in the room have been through that or are going through it now. Uh, we're wondering if we ought to turn the dial up a little bit further and even emphasize more training in that regard. So we have a group of uh, nine people right now going through something called Porterbrook. We talked to you a little bit about it last time. In essence, this is a, a test run at a 
a two-year uh, theological training program is essentially what it is. So think something between uh, seminary and uh, really, really good quality local church Sunday school, and maybe that gets to the idea. Uh, so we have nine people that are going through it, and uh, Katie is one of them, and she's going to talk to you about that experience. And ultimately, trying to assess, is this um, a model that God would have us to use here? We don't know the answer to that yet, but so far it's been positive. Katie? So the night I read Chuck's email um, inviting me to participate in Porterbrook, I was already completely worn out. It had been a long day. I had a long day at work, and I was just trying to finish my routine. It was after midnight. I'm like, I just need to get to bed. I just want to sleep. And then I remembered my phone had told me there was an email from Chuck that I should read. And I was like, oh, I can, I'll get it in the morning. Like, oh, it can wait. And I felt something deep inside that was like, no, this just can't wait. So I was sitting on the edge of my bed reading it. And I just kind of went to town on it, clicking on the links, trying to, well, trying to make the links work. And his phones are so handy with that. And uh, just really getting fired up about this concept and this idea. And uh, so I read everything, got all the information in my head, and went, okay, God, I'm going to go to bed. Good night. I love you. And then I proceeded not to sleep for the rest of the night. So I, I laid in bed just thinking, and my heart and my head just would not stop thinking about um, what God was gifting to me. Um, and I'm astounded by what God gives his people. Uh, at the end of last year, I came to God with a heart yearning and hungry to be a better daughter. I asked God for something in the new year that would be help me make him my number one goal, my number one focus and priority. Um, I surrendered a piece of myself that I had let hold on to worldly ideals and asked God for a better way to love him and serve him with glory and honor. And I'm convinced when I let go of that pen and I gave God the authorship, he set in motion a chain of events that led me to a sleepless night, um, eventually deciding uh, to participate in Porterbrook. So now I'm here. It's been two weeks into the program, and I'm enjoying the content and its educational approach. The sections are broken down, but they're not dumbed down, and they're pro providing some practical tools for connecting with God's word, his people, non-believers, and ultimately with God himself. I think my favorite topic so far has been about gospel living, because it elaborates on what it is to look, what it looks like from the heart outwards to love and live for God. Um, this week, God emphasized a particular section for me about being a part of the body of Christ. Uh, in Ephesians, Paul describes how true maturity, the kind that resembles Christ, is a result of being a part of the body. So my struggle with reading the word and understanding it and comprehending it could be remedied by just opening my mouth and talking with people that are the members of this church, that are members of God's family. I can learn more by being part of the body. Uh, um, and it's just two weeks in. Uh, I'm excited to see what else God is going to highlight in Porterbrook to help me grow and to learn and ultimately to help me connect with others.
So being equipped to make disciples, what do you do after you're equipped? You make disciples, right? So, so uh, I'd ask Nick Freiberger and Scott Wakefield and David Brown and Christina Bays. Is that the right, right pronunciation? Good enough? Okay. Uh, come on up here. And uh, we are making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And I'll let Scott or uh, Nick take it from here. So we had sort of a unique <clears throat> challenge and opportunity a few months ago. Faced with the reality that, that there is a problem in the church for the men with sexual sin. And that it's, it, really it's a twofold problem. One is the problem itself and the second is the isolation that we live in in this problem. And I was proposed with an opportunity to teach a class. And during the discussions of how to teach that class, it became apparent very quickly that the only way that was going to be effective is if we addressed both the issue and the isolation. Um, Galatians 6 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you be tempted too. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And verse 9 and 10, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are in the household of faith. So we embarked on a journey that I did not know the destination of, and could not have known the destination of, but faithfully asked a group of men to speak openly and to commit to one another to share a part of their lives that's vulnerable and to really be there to build one another up and to support one another. And some of those men carried on in a way that I couldn't have known or expected or have ever, ever been blessed with. So um, one of the things that Nick wanted to do uh, in the class is have the guys form into smaller groups and uh, discuss the material. So I paired up with Dave Brown, and we met once a week, and we went over the book together. And um, I hadn't really known Dave before this other than just sitting in front of him sometimes on Sunday and shaking his hand um, during our greet time. Um, but so it was a little bit outside my comfort zone. I mean, here's this class on this, you know, kind of topic that nobody talks about. And you're supposed to sit down and meet with somebody who I, you know, don't really know and read this book together. And so, you know, it was a little awkward, but I said, well, we can, we can do this. It's only the duration of the class. And, and I'd been going to Chuck's Wednesday night disciple maker training for a while. And so I kind of felt uh, like I was maybe a little bit more equipped to do it than I would have a couple of years ago. So, uh, so Dave and I would get together on Sunday, on Saturdays, usually for an hour or two. And we'd read through the the chapter of the book, and we'd, we'd talk about it. And, and actually, we probably spent more time talking about uh, things that uh, there were a lot of comparisons, really, that I could draw between the materials that, that Chuck had been using in the Disciple Maker training and the topics of this book. And it's really just about transformation, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit that's in you to be transformed, you know, sort of this balance of you're doing things, but the Spirit's doing things, and, you know, he, you can't do it all on your own, but 
uh, he needs you to be doing something. You don't just sit there like a bump on a log and expect him to change you. So, um, so we, we really talked a lot. I really was doing a lot of just regurgitating what I had learned in Wednesday night uh, disciple maker training with David as this book was bringing up these, these topics. And um, anyway, by the time we finished the book, we developed a friendship um, that had gone beyond what was you know what we were, what we were there for to go through that particular book, so we decided we would continue to meet and study together, and we didn't know what what to do next content wise so I asked Chuck, you know do you have a recommendation of another book you can recommend to us so he said, well why don't you go through this one one to one bible reading so we we did that, and it, this is a book it's, you can tell it's very short um, you can probably read it in forty five minutes and um, <laughs> And it's about how reading the Bible one-to-one can be an effective um, uh, discipleship tool and um, that you can use it for discipleship with non-believers. You can use it for discipleship with new believers. You can use it for discipleship with mature believers. And, and so there's these three categories of, um, of what it can, you know, where you can do this sort of Bible reading as a discipleship tool. And um, one of the exercises in the book was to list the potential people in each of those three categories that you might be able to do one-to-one Bible reading with. So Dave and I, we filled out the little chart in the book and wrote down the names of the people in those three categories, and we talked about those people who were on the, in, our, in our lists and kind of gave some background who they were and what, was, what this was all about. So the story now goes on to Dave. Thanks. <laughs> well, Scott and I discussed on the idea that I had about talking to these people about God and about how to share with them. Christina was one of the people on my list. I knew Christina because she was helping me do my maintenance here at uh, Church on Mill, and I was recovering from hand surgery, so I really couldn't do much of the work. But I could hold a Bible. (laughs) And read passages while Christina did all the work. (laughs) And then we discussed the passages. I shared with Christina what God had done in my life and what I thought was important in the life of a Christian. I didn't know that what I was telling her was so important to her walk with Christ. All I knew is that I was talking about something about what I like to talk about, and that's God and Jesus. Okay, so when I first came to Church on Mill, I was not a happy camper. (laughs) I had to do 120 hours of community service, so I was introduced to Dave, and we started talking and working. One day he asked me if I had a Bible. I said no. He reached and took a Bible off the bookshelf and gave it to me. I thought that was pretty cool. Then I asked, and then he asked me, why don't I start coming to church? I said, I don't know. I don't know anyone. He said, it's not like that here. People are really nice. So I thought about it and showed up, and he was right. I've never in my life been around so many kind people. It was kind of weird. (laughs) (laughs) So the next time I worked, Dave was like, why don't you come in the morning on Sunday for 9.30 a.m. class again? Again, 
I am like, I don't know anyone. He's like, people are really nice here. <laughs> so I showed up for Taz class, and it was great. The next time I work, Dave again is like, why don't you come on Wednesday nights? I'm like, well, I don't know anyone. He said, it's not like that here. People are really nice. <laughs> For real, he was like, say that. So I showed up, and it was great. Okay. <clears throat> I started going on Wednesday nights, was given a book called One to One that everyone in class was to read. I started reading. In the meantime, I had no knowledge of what was going on at this point. The next time I worked, David's like, can we read a passage out of the Bible? I said, sure. Let me tell you that no one, in all, no one in all my life had ever cared to ask me if I wanted to read a passage and to ask me what I thought. It was really great. I don't think that Dave knows really what an awesome man he is. The, that moment turned my world around for real. I am reading one-to-one. -one. I am thinking, OMG, OMG. <laughs> Dave and I are doing that same thing. My spirit was filled with such joy. So I never, ever speak in class. I was listening to Chuck in, in our Wednesday night class, and I just started talking about what Dave and I were doing, and Chuck just smiled, and then he looked over at Scott. And I was thinking, why in the world is he doing that? I found out that Scott is doing one-to-one -one, one -one with Dave, and I had no idea. I just wanted to say that it, it all started from me emailing Chuck about community service. Then I was introduced to Bill. Bill introduced me to Dave. I started going to church, met Tad. Then Wednesday nights, met Julie, Becky, and Patrick. I met Hansley, Scott, Lisa, and okay. visiting some, some gospel communities. I met Nathaniel, Leanne, Denise, Michelle, and Mary Jo. So one day I finally finished my community service, December 31st, 2013. After church, I slipped Chuck a note before he was Wait, oh, after, <laughs> these lights are really up. <laughs> after, after church, I slipped Chuck a note because he was really busy that day. Remember that day? Was really busy. I told him to text me or call because I wanted to join the church family and become a member. I went in and had a meeting with Chuck, and so here I am talking to you. I have never, ever in my life been around so many loving, caring, nice people that welcome you with open arms is just really freaking weird. <laughs> I just love it though. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I feel this is not a story about me. This is a story about a person, me, that the Holy Spirit worked through. I don't know why God brought me here, but I am listening to him and my, and my life has changed. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. What a cool story. Uh, it, what a privilege it is, right, to be able to be used by God uh, in those ways. Uh, just all of you have that opportunity with the people around us, right? So, um, and I just want to point out again, Christina did say there was at least one day that Chuck was busy, right? <laughs> so, we've got that on record. Um, 
Next, Kent Hardy. Where's Kent? Kent, already up here. Uh, one of the things we've made some, uh, trying to make some changes in our deacon ministry, trying to be more effective at serving the needs of the church body. Anytime you have a group of people, there's going to be needs, right? Uh, financial, uh, spiritual, emotional, just all sorts of things that come up in a, in a family. So uh, Kent is here to give us a little update on the deacon ministry. Thanks. All right, so um, thank you, Brett and Andrew, for handing papers out for me. Um, this is just a little paper to kind of tell you a little bit about what's going on with the deacon ministry. Um, as many of you who have been around a long time know, we've been, we've been trying to change how we do deacon ministry. We're trying to um, really get focused on certain areas, certain ministry areas. And so um, it, the idea is... The big idea, ultimately, though, is that we want to meet needs, and we want to meet needs as part of a team of people. We don't want to just have the deacons going out and taking care of things. We want the deacons to be encouraging other people to join them to go and take care of things. And so the, the reason that we're handing this out tonight is because I want, to, I want you all to see what's out there, what, what we are doing, and come and bug the people who are team leaders and say, hey, I want to be involved in that. That looks really cool. What does that mean? Or I don't understand what that is. Can you tell me? Whatever, whatever your reaction is to these, if you have any desire at all to be part of ministry, come and talk to these guys. So um, we've got Pat and Randy. You'll see their names um, liberally on the front page as team leaders. Um, and then we've also got uh, John. I don't know. Is John here tonight? Nope. Okay. Um, let's see. Wally. Wally's. Did I see Wally tonight? I didn't see him either. Okay. Um, and Ming is not here tonight either. Wow. They, they, they bailed out. They knew you were going to come and ask them questions, I think. Oh, and Nick. There, Nick made it. Yeah, Nick. Um, so, so as you look through this list, um, just, just take a look. See if there's something that God really lays on your heart and go talk to one of these people. Give them a call, send them an email, and be willing to be part of what God's at work doing here in our church. So that's all I really had to say. So did anyone have any questions about deacon ministry for, for Kent? No. Okay. Great. Thank you. So I am going to give a brief update on just financial update. Uh, last time, last members meeting that we had in December, uh, we were talking about the church budget for 2014, which uh, was voted into effect the following week. And one of the things that I shared at that members meeting was to be praying about two things. Uh, to be praying, first of all, that we would end 2013 strong financially, uh, that we wanted to be on a good footing for 2014, and also to pray that during the first couple of months of 2014 that our, our giving would be strong. Typically, for most churches, and this church is, is uh, typical in this respect, uh, January and February are, are difficult months financially. I think um, people have spent a lot of money on Christmas gifts, and so they... Uh, don't have any left to give. So that's that's fairly typical for a lot of churches and certainly it's typical for our church. We did really well in the first prayer. 
uh, we ended 2013 really strong. Uh, it was the highest yearly total of giving that we've had since I believe it was 2008, I believe it was. So uh, praise God for that, for uh, providing for us. Amen. So, yeah, uh, God really uh, answered that prayer, that first prayer. Second prayer was that we would enter into 2014 and, and do well the first couple of months. And if you've looked at the back of your bulletin, uh, we're about $2,500 behind budget through the first five weeks of the year, So, uh, which is not awful, but uh, certainly would love us to be at least even in our our giving. So uh, keep praying about that. Thank you for, for faithfully giving. I think I said this last time, the people that, that come uh, to meetings like this are often the ones that give. So uh, praise God for you for, for faithfully attending and giving. I want to thank you for that. Uh, one other thing I meant to mention this also is that we had our highest overall worship attendance uh, since uh, in 2013 since uh, any records that I have. So we're, we're which goes back seven, eight, Ten years, something like that. So a lot of people are coming to Church on Mill, which is great, uh, fantastic, and we, we certainly want to continue to have the giving come in that we can meet some needs and continue to, to help people in that respect. So any questions about? Can you not see it? There's lots of lines there. Do you see them? Line graph. Yes, Stacy. You can give to whatever God asks you to give. The, 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 primary, the primary way that we meet needs within the church is through the budget. That, that includes things like uh, uh, missions. A lot of our missions is taken care of through the church budget, through giving to the church budget. Uh, ministry, doing classes like the Wednesday night class. Um, all sorts of things are, are provided for through our church budget. So uh, you can certainly give to other areas, but hopefully that answers the question. Pat? Okay. Yeah, so if you don't write on there what it's going to, it goes to the budget. Okay. Any other questions? All right. Thank you for faithfully giving and now I'm going to ask Nick and Chuck to come up and talk about the connection classes. And uh, they've done a lot of work. A team of people coming up here have done a, or who's coming? <laughs> Flip a coin. Um, done a lot of work on, on organizing our connection classes, which are on Sunday mornings at 930, to give a broad range of, of information uh, to the church body. So we got a handout. So if you've been to the last few Compass meetings, you've heard stories and stories and stories about how we are improving the way we do community, how we're improving the way we live together, how we're improving the way we do the unity of our church body. And that should be really, really encouraging for everyone, and I hope that it is. The second piece is the equipping. Within that unity, some of that is happening and will continue to happen and grow, and the discipleship that you're seeing will grow. But as we're equipping the body to do ministry, 
some of that comes in the shape of teaching people formally good stuff. And we have an opportunity in the 930 hour that we that's changing a little bit and has changed over the last few years. We have connections classes now, which are designed to be short-term. But our friend Chuck, who is managing the connections classes along with the one or two other things that he does throughout the week, was getting overwhelmed. So we didn't want to we didn't want to overwhelm him. And for those of you who know me, I have a passion for teaching and I enjoy organization and building spreadsheets and things that make other people like Chuck crazy. <laughs> so together with the help of Patrick and Katina and the church staff and Chuck, we started to look at the Connections Class program and say, how can we make this the most effective equipping possible? And what we decided was that, number one, we needed to have a strategy, and number two, we needed to start to organize those things in such a way that, that you guys know what to expect. So what you have in front of you is a really convoluted three-year schedule. That is one of those things that I create because I'm like that. I hope that it's helpful to you and you can take a look at what we want to do. What we want to do is start to give these classes out in such a way that over the course of three years, we can touch on really all of the dominant features in Scripture and in the Gospel to give our church body the best possible education that we can through that 930 hour. And to do that in a way that is, is fun and constructive and to develop materials that can be repeated easily where we can use those to grow teachers and to continue to educate more and more people as it goes along. Now, that doesn't mean after three years we're off the hook. What it means is that there's a lot to be done and there's a lot to be taught. There are also open spaces on the schedule that you'll see. Those are really left as to be determined. We still want there to be lots of room for the Spirit to guide the church in specific things that are helpful. The other thing you have is a description of the classes. Now, these are very rigid descriptions that aren't ever going to change. No, they're, they're really very, very fluid descriptions, and we spent some time trying to develop them so they were short and functional so you didn't have to read a book every time you wanted to know what a class was about. But with that being said, they may not cover everything fantastically. If you have questions about the schedule, the descriptions, if there's something that you look at that schedule and say, this is just horribly missing, and I will be lost if I don't get to learn it, tell me. If there's a description in there that you look at and go, this class doesn't make any sense, or this class makes me want to jump out a window, or the description is written terribly, or there's a spelling error, in which case, don't come talk to me. But <laughs> if there's any kind of concerns or questions you guys have, the idea is to make that 930 hour the most profitable time for teaching and equipping people in that more formal setting that we can possibly have. If you're interested in teaching, developing some teaching material, because a lot of the curriculum for these classes isn't developed yet, there are a lot of opportunities for folks to contribute in different ways to this, and I am happy to have the help, trust me. Um, the other thing you can do is attend the classes. There are some wonderful teachers spending hours developing wonderful material, and I would love for you guys to benefit from their work and their, their teaching. And if you're not coming to the 930 hour and you have questions about it, please find someone like me or Chuck or Tad or Katina or somebody who is a part of that that can help talk you through what that is. If you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. If not, I'll get out of the way. There are about 22 classes on that list. The purposes really are to 
give out as much good biblical teaching as we can on various topics. So it varies pretty widely on that sheet. Who determines the curriculum for each class? Learned, willing people. <laughs> we have a number of people who have developed material for classes in the past um, under the, the counsel of Chuck and Tad and the staff and hopefully through godly sources of um, wisdom from other places. It's going to continue to be developed by those who are capable and willing to put in the time. So that varies. There are a number of people who have done so. There are a number of discussions. The question was, can we have a, a over the three-year period, can we go through the books of the Bible in sort of a, sort of a biblical overview during that three years? Sure. We do that in a couple different ways. Um, one of the ways is through the sermon series that we typically do. We'll usually track through specific material. Right now it's topical, but I believe we're going back to uh, a more standard tracking through a book of the Bible, and that's continued in the gospel communities to be discussed in more depth. Um, there is room in the schedule to add classes over different things. Right now, doing a study over all of the books and a, a reading is something that we've discussed, but something that at this time I don't necessarily have room for specifically in that schedule. But with that being said, there are lots of different opportunities and folks that I would if you have an interest in reading through different books of the Bible or the whole Bible, let me know. And I will happily get you together with a group of people who can do that, maybe not during the 930 hour, but during any other time that you have available to do so. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. A lot of great things, huh? Yeah. Um, I was asked if I would share a, a few minutes uh, just to uh, encourage us in the scriptures. I had something written that I thought was fantastic, and last Monday night the leadership team told me not to do it, <laughs> to do something different. So if this stinks, it's their fault. <laughs> so now that we've cleared the air um, about that, um, if you have a Bible... Would you look at Acts 2 with me or an app? Great. If you would like a Bible and don't have one, raise your hand and Dave will bring one around to you. Our, our mission, our purpose, or the reason we exist as a church is to, to glorify God through lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're here uh, for God, to make much of God, to point to God, to honor God, to be people who demonstrate what life lived in His name is like. And you've heard lots of stories of that happening tonight that are really encouraging.
There's another account in Scripture of that taking place, and I want to just take a moment uh, tonight and look at it with you. So Acts 2, 42 through 47, probably the most famous passage on church in the whole Bible. So Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's a pretty cool church, right? So this is the first church, if you know the story, uh, that came into being after Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, hung out around 40 days, visited with lots and lots and lots of people, commissioned his followers, ascended to heaven, and then Peter preached a great sermon and the, the church was born. So amazing early moments in the church's existence. And just a wonderful passage that describes for us what the very first church in Jerusalem was like. What do you think in that description would have been particularly amazing to see and be a part of? What about that really leaps out to you as uh, that's an amazing church where God's really at work? Anything like that? They received with glad and generous hearts. You ever been in an un, ungladful church? Is that a word? <laughs> it communicates, doesn't it? You ever been in a church where joy is not normal? Where, where um, happiness seems foreign? This wasn't that kind of church. This was a place where God was at work and people were happy about it. That would have been awesome, huh? What else? They had breakfast. Breakfast is good. Yes. What else? Yeah. So God was growing the church. The, the natural result of what was taking place is that God was adding to their number. So supernatural things were taking place as... Um, markers of God at work. And there was some of that going on too, if you know the story. <clears throat> Anything else? I would say that things were far from idols. I mean, the fact that they're selling stuff, giving stuff away. Yeah. So there was such a rich sense that we're in this together that no longer was my stuff really my stuff. There was a willingness to, to share it. Janine? Of course it was. Yeah. Yeah, they took care of each other. It's um, a pretty amazing church, isn't it? Um, I, in my experience, most of the time, when we look at this passage and we think about it and we try to apply it, we completely butcher that whole process up. And let me take three or four minutes and try to describe that to you. Uh, when we read 
the stories in the Bible, we always have to try and ask, are they, are they prescriptive or are they descriptive? In other words, is this telling us what happened? So is it, is it like the news? It's recounting the events that took place so that we would be aware of how the church started. Is it, is it giving us information about the beginnings of the church and what God did? Or is it telling us that's what we're supposed to do? Do you hear the difference? So because that took place in Jerusalem and the early church was marked by all of the things that you just said, are we supposed to then figure out how to do the exact same things now? And that might sound like a pretty easy question, but it's, it's really not. Uh, because the stories in the Bible are written as stories, and then we have to try and discern from the rest of the Bible, is this telling me, go and repeat this, or is it telling me, rejoice in what God has done? Uh, the vast majority of the time, I think this passage gets used in a prescriptive way. It's, go and do this, and this, and this, and this, and this. So a group might collect and feel nice about themselves and do good things and recount the story in this way and yet not have the exact same results. So what, what's, what gives? Is, is church not as powerful as it used to be? If, if this is telling us exactly what to do, then maybe we would see the exact same things happening. So the most famous example that everybody uses when you come to stories is uh, Judas went out and hung himself and go and do the same thing, right? So that's a ridiculous example, but it highlights the question of when something's in a story, do do I aim to repeat it or do I thank God for what's in it and see how he would like to do his work in our world today? Some of what's here would be true for all churches everywhere. Some is clearly what we find other places in the Bible telling us you're supposed to do these things. But some of it isn't quite that, that clear. So, for example, we're not a church if we're not built on the Scriptures. And if we're not loving to each other, and if we don't pray, and if we don't take the Lord's Supper together. You're a gathering of people that are doing something, but you're not a church. Fundamentally, to be a a church means we gather under the the Word of God and we submit to Him in those specific ways. But other things we would say are more descriptive. So the most obvious example here would be they gathered and worshipped where? In the temple. So if you go to Jerusalem today, the temple isn't there anymore. It's going to be hard to gather in, in the temple. And it's going to be hard to do that every day, after day, after day, after day. So clearly there's more going on there than what it seems. So here's why I bring this up. Um, we want to be a church that has a sense of awe. We want to be a church that shares our stuff, kind of. We, we want to be a place where miracles happen, where, where there's things that take place that are only uh, available to us because God has done them. We want to be a place where we gather in homes and we really share life like you've heard about tonight. Uh, 
We want glad and generous hearts and favor with people. We want to see God adding to our number. Therefore, if we're not careful, what we'll end up doing is saying, there's the formula. If we do exactly what Acts 2 says, if we mix all those ingredients together, then we're bound to get the exact same result. But to read the story in that way is to miss the point of why it's in there in the first place. And it's very easy to do that. But these early brothers and sisters didn't live this kind of life because there was some uh, formula through which they were told to do that. So that's not the way the story played out. They didn't do these things because there was a list by which they were supposed to follow. There was some other ingredient at work that caused them to respond and react in that way. So let me show you what that was a little bit earlier in the story. Look up at Acts 2, verse 36. We're going to jump in the middle of Peter's sermon. He says this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, referring to Jesus, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So there's a big mass of people together. He gets up, he's giving a speech, and he says to them, you killed him. The Romans didn't do it. You did. You crucified Jesus. You, God's people, rejected the one sent to you by God to deliver you. You turned away from the Redeemer. Those are strong words. Now verse 37. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What makes for a really powerful church where God is noticeably, visibly at work and lives are being changed is not by going to the end of Acts 2 and trying to replicate exactly what they did. Rather, what makes for a powerful, life-changing, welcoming, inviting in God-at-work church is people who realize our sinfulness. It's a place where people have become gripped with what they've done and yet what God has done on their behalf. That is what brought about the, the, the end of Acts 2, church. It was a, a people that had become fully convinced that Jesus is Lord and Christ. And when we're fully convinced of that, we're cut to the heart. We see how dramatically different we are than God designed us to be. We're broken. We repent. And then we walk in the forgiveness and the glorious truth that God's given us in the gospel. The result of that is whatever this particular church needs to look like at this particular moment. Are you tracking with me? So I think what you're hearing tonight is not some new set of methods. It's not the right formula has been reached. Um, It's not... We've figured it all out and now we've got 
belts through which we can set people on and they go down the assembly line and they come out looking perfectly because we followed the end of Acts 2. I think what we're seeing, friends, is an increasing conviction of our sin and an increasing wonder at what God has given us. Therefore, you've heard the kinds of stuff you've heard tonight. It's pretty amazing, right? So the Jerusalem church was the church needed for Jerusalem in the first century. I hope that we can be the church needed for our century in Tempe. That's the design of Acts 2. So let's rejoice in what God is doing, particularly in Christ, and that will drive everything else. Now that's the the fun part. Uh, What I was asked to share beyond that is uh, some follow-up for you from our last Compass meeting about uh, specifically where are we seeing God doing those kinds of things and what is at work kind of behind the scenes seeking to uh, further really gospel-focused, centered, God-driven, conviction of sin, mindful that Christ is Lord kind of life. We gave you a uh, handout. Hopefully when you came in you saw it. Uh, the colored one. In the middle, you'll find a really cool chart graph thingy jobber. This is for Tad. With four different categories in it. Everybody get one of those? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dump truck a whole bunch of stuff on you. So if you want to retain any of it, there's more of these in the back. And I'm going to try to take maybe 10 minutes and... Um, talk you through uh, the ways some things are being accomplished in these areas. And there's a mass exodus at this point. So if you need one of those and you didn't get up, if you'll raise your hand. Kent is handing those out. Great. Everybody want, got one that wants one? Um, in, in December, at our last uh, members meeting, we shared with you that uh, the leadership team, through a lot of prayer and discussion, really f- felt like uh, God would have us as a church lay particular emphasis on four things uh, in the coming year. Those four things are, are what you have here. So if you didn't hear any of that last time, Here's, here's the really quick 90-second overview, and then I want to try and fill in the, the guts of this. We really felt like uh, God is giving us lots of great stuff from the Scriptures on uh, living in light of the truth that Jesus came and died and rose again, and He's continuing to change lives. And where there's repentance of sin, then there's joy and gladness to follow. So what, is it, what does it look like for us to continue to press in to that and emphasize that more and more? That was a question we asked last time. The next one over, disciple making disciples. The design of God is not that a couple of people 
that you pay do the work of discipleship. The design of God is that every Christian is a disciple maker. Uh, If you say, I'm a Christian and I'm not a disciple and I... Hello, sir. (laughs) And and you say, I'm not sure I ever want to meet with anybody, talk with them about my faith, share my life with other people, open the scriptures together, give to one another, invite people that don't know Christ into a relationship with Him, take those that are and they're struggling and try to encourage them further along. If you say, I love Jesus, but I'm not interested in any of that, then, then the scriptures would say to you, we have no earthly idea what you're talking about. Because that's what a Christian is. It's an imperfect person who's been saved by God, loved by God, and is seeking to share that out with other people. So how do we encourage a rethinking of what Christianity uh, means? That's disciple making disciples. Down at the bottom, God's church, God's way. We've had lots of conversation around uh, structuring, setting up the internal workings of the church such that they mirror the way the Bible teaches they should. And then finally, um, all of that takes generosity from us with our time, the things we're good at, with our money, or it it just doesn't happen. It won't work. Uh, Generosity is a core value of Christianity enabling everything else to happen. That's what we said last time. Now, all I want to do in the next maybe eight minutes is tell you, here's some stuff that are taking place around each of these and invite you, if you're not a part of something and you'd like to be, to be aware of it and to engage. And if not at at, at that level, if you're already pretty maxed out in terms of your time, then to keep that as a, a means with which you could be praying and be aware of what's happening in your church. Is that generally clear, what I'm talking about? Okay, so uh, some things related to gospel-centered living that are taking place. Uh, We are finding more and more conversation happening around prayer. That um, a a natural result or even the impetus to wanting to live all of life centered around what Christ has done for us has to involve uh, prayer. Communication with God individually but then even more so communication with each other. So we're finding increasing conversation about prayer and God doing really cool things uh, through prayer. Much of what you heard tonight in terms of uh, the stories of God at work, what was underneath that was an increasing commitment to asking God to do what only God can do, and that's to intervene in our lives and change our hearts. And so... Uh, I'm very encouraged by the emphasis that's taking place on prayer. A second thing that is closely related to that is just the growth that we're finding in relationships with one another. We're seeing members being uh, members. We're finding gospel communities that are developing further. We're hearing stories of people getting together one-to-one or one-to-more to to read the Bible together. And that is crossing uh, the the typical boundaries or lines that exist in church. So it's, it's very common to go to um, a class for single people, a class for young marrieds, um, a class f- for the most seasoned among us, uh, and 
that everything we ever do in church is with people just like us. And um, Jill and I came from, from a church where uh, you, you literally could find yourself sitting in a room where essentially everybody looked like you. They had the same amount of education as you. They had the same kind of personality as you. They thought the same things were funny that you thought. And the marker of um, God at work really was a homogeneous group where it was easy to get along with one another. And um, God was working there. I'm thankful for my time there. But I'm even more thankful for my time here because that's not happening here. I, almost every couple of days I hear this person is hanging out and talking about God with this person and they're helping so-and-so do this and they're helping so-and-so do that. And it's how are those two people even knowing who the other person is. It's fantastic. And part of what is so thrilling about that is only the gospel can do that, can take people that have no other reason to even smile at each other and can build in them a real strong sense of we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm for you, and I want the very best for you. Are you seeing this? It's, it's so... Wonderful and amazing. The gospel has the power to bind us together like nothing else does. And that's mixing up in a way that's really exciting. The regroup that we have going right now is also really encouraging gospel-centered living. We have the largest group of people going to that that we've had. And we have more men in this round than have been in all the rest of them uh, combined. Guys, you've tended to be uh, the knuckleheads that thought you could deal with your sin on your own. And we have a wave of people now that are more honest than that and are finding we really need each other to become who we already are. And so I'm really thrilled uh, that there is some great stuff happening there. There's a financial peace class happening on Wednesday nights that's encouraging generosity. You may have heard this morning in our worship gathering... uh, a little bit different or enhanced, improved focus between songs that was designed to encourage us to really think about what we're singing and to engage in the content in a significant, meaningful way, Uh, you're going to see more of that out of a desire that we not just stand and sing and then realize, I don't have any idea what I just sung. Have you had that? You're lying. Yes, you have. If you had, I, I read a page in the Bible and then I realize I don't have any idea what I just read. Or I just listened to a whole sermon or a, engaged in a prayer or sang a song. We would love to be a church where every word that's spoken when we gather corporately is saturated with the Scriptures and used by the Spirit to encourage us as we leave to live in light of the Gospel. There are um, a couple of people headed over to the, the crowded house in a few months to go to a house party. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Uh, we have sent people in the past to be immersed in the life of the church there that has been very helpful to us in some of this. Some more folks are going, and I'm thrilled about that. There's the next members meeting coming up on April 13th. Mark the date. This is one of the most fun things we do. Lots of stuff happening, gospel-centered living. 
Jump over to disciple-making disciples. There's lots of prayer going on with people in discipleship. There's personal discipling and evangelism happening. We continue to see God using gospel communities. The Haiti trip is coming up. There's still room if you're interested in that. Mez with 20 Schemes was just here and did an outstanding job of encouraging us in disciple-making disciples. You've heard tonight about Porterbrook and the opportunities that are developing there. On March 1st, there's going to be a special training for all of us called Mission Minded, Reaching Our World with the Gospel from 8 to noon. Folks in the Church on Mill family who are actively engaged in trying to share Christ in everyday life are going to help us with really practical things about how to go about that. For example, one of the sessions is uh, called The Introverted Evangelist. A lot of us in the room are introverts. And the idea of talking to someone about anything, let alone something that could put them up in arms, is more than scary. So what does it look like to be wired as an individual that's an introvert and yet still be obedient to God's call to share Christ with other people? We want to try to spend an hour with you on just that topic. So that's an example. Lots of things happening in disciple-making disciples. That's very exciting. Two more, and then we want to move towards prayer. God's church, God's way, biblical church governance. Uh, You've heard tonight about the deacon's ministry being enhanced. Uh, We've added two new deacons, Nick and Stephen. Hopefully it won't go down for Stephen like the new deacon Stephen in Acts. (laughs) If you don't know, he got killed. Uh, We have another four or five potential deacons who are doing one-on-one kind of mentoring, talking through various issues in their lives. You're being invited to join up on a deacon ministry team or one of the other teams that's already in place, working with age-graded ministries, greeters, helping in the coffee bar. There's all kinds of opportunities that you can serve. We're also continuing to have conversations around what would it look like to be more obedient to what the Scriptures say in terms of our leadership structure, elders, uh, deaconesses, lots of members having conversations around those things that are very exciting. God is continuing to use our internship uh, ministry here. Uh, I am so proud of the way you encourage and bless and support uh, folks who are here in the Church on Mill family that won't be here forever. That the whole design is that that they would come and be a blessing to us, encourage us, we to them, and then we send them out. Um, that is a, a core value for what church is supposed to be. And we're increasingly experiencing that, and that's fantastic. All of that's causing um, lots of conversation about staffing and what does the staff look like now and what might it need to look like in the future to better and further accomplish the work that God has put before us? To be totally frank with you, I don't know the answer to that. Um, But it's an ongoing conversation, and that's a great thing because uh, we're not static. We're looking at um, where is God taking us? How do we adapt to the ways in which he's working and becoming more effective in them? Finally, the one you all wanted to hear about, sacrificial generosity. People are uh, praying about what would God have me give in my time 
and my resources. The Financial Peace class is doing a great job at encouraging that. You may have noticed in the Connection class list that the next round of classes will include a class on financial stewardship. Um, We live in a, a world that's gone financially crazy where we, we honestly think that more stuff will, will fix us. And so we buy it on a card, and it's cool for a while, and then before we've even paid off that thing, we're off to the next one, right? We've, we've become financially insane. It's possible to live so far beyond your means that you're just absolutely crushed with debt. Now, I don't mean any of that in a punitive, nasty, harsh way. I mean it to say God's word designs, provides a a different, a better way of living. And there's actually much more freedom when there's the ability and the heart to be generous. So this class is going to push on that uh, in a way that I think will be really helpful to uh, a lot of us. We're seeing lives shared in increasing ways that is marking us as people that love God and love people. All of that may require additional staff adjustments and equal sacrifice from all of us so that the kingdom can grow. At the end of the day, those are just small pieces of ways that that God is at work. They're the, the end of the Acts 2. But the center is we're increasingly becoming people that really do love Christ and that are living in light of what he's done for us in the stuff of everyday life. Therefore, we're seeing more and more ways that God is at work. Now, unless that is fueled by, encouraged by, driven by prayer, then it will fizzle out. It'll just be uh, one more nice little season in one little nice church. But if we're really dependent upon God, then I'm not sure we've even scratched the surface yet. So we'd like to end tonight with a a little bit different way than we typically end a meeting. That is to encourage you to gather around with two, three, four people to look at the back of this sheet and to pray um, expectantly. There's a scripture there that you can use to guide your praying and then some statements that can steer you towards a particular kind of praying. Some of you are really comfortable praying in groups. Some of you are massively uncomfortable in it. If you're uncomfortable with this, uh, that's, that's okay. Don't leave though. Just get with a few people and read through the list and listen. And pray in your head. God has the ability to hear that too. But let's be people that know we can't do the work of God. We can't manufacture it. We can't drum it up. We've got to ask God to do what only God can do. So would you gather together with a few people, pray through this list, and then in about 15 minutes, right at 8, Pat Nickel is going to come and close us.